here's the sermon. I was, I was seven years old, and my mom and dad and my sister and I, we moved from Illinois down to Missouri, and there was kind of a transitional time. I don't know how long it was, a few weeks, months, maybe, that we lived with my grandpa. And my grandpa had a dairy farm. And uh, it was fun being seven years old on the farm. And, you know, we, we stayed in, with him in the house. And then, you know, there was the dairy barn was kind of at the other end of the, the big farm lot. You know what, I'm, you know what I'm saying? And there's outbuildings and all kinds of stuff. And so it was just fun. You're a little kid. You'd want to go see what was happening when they were milking the cows and see that experience. And it was just fun. But between the house and the dairy barn was the rooster. And the rooster prowled the grounds quite well. And he was a mean old rooster. In fact, he was so mean that whenever my sister and I would come out of the house, the front door, we would look to see where he was. And if he had his head turned and was kind of watching the hens, or if we thought that we could get to the, the barn before he could catch us, then we thought it would be okay. Because those guys, the farmhands, they had... They would whip, because the, the shower was down at the dairy barn, so they'd do, do their milking, shower, and walk back to the house, and they'd have this towel, and they would just tease that, that rooster and just whip it. And you know, it, it just was a mean. And so it would come and chase us. And so my sister's five, I'm seven. We're trying to outrun this rooster. And no joke, several times, I still can remember the feeling of this rooster coming and hit me on the back of my legs with his little spurs and flogging me. And that was just kind of what it was like uh, going from, from the house to, to the barn. But the rooster was wanting to let my sister and I know who was in charge of his property. And there's a thing called a pecking order with chickens. You know this. And so this rooster was defining the pecking order, not just for the hens, but for these little kids that were running across his barn lot. And my friends, we live in a world where there's a pecking order. And I don't know if Jesus likes that. And we talk to people, and as soon as we kind of visit with people, we kind of feel them out. Okay, where do you work? How many kids do you have? No, oh, you don't have kids. And you're kind of just getting all this pecking order type thing figured out. And I don't know if that's what Jesus wants us to do. We judge people on how much education they have, how big their house is, how many cars they have in the garage. For small towns, it's how many generations do you have banked up here or are you still just new here? There's a pecking order. And my understanding from what I read in Scripture is Jesus does not like pecking orders. Yes, there's some structure to the church and Christ is the head of the church and there's some leadership, but even the leadership is called to be humble, and service-minded. And in our text today from Philippians chapter 2, I just want to lay this sentence out here. God's mind, the mind of Christ, restores our relationships. The mind of Christ restores our relationships. And it's in Philippians chapter 2. I want to invite you to your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, it's on page 951 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you want to follow along. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being 
like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. That's the second time we've seen mind in our text. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Another way to say that is humility of mind, third time. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're continuing this series, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. Here in these first five verses, four times we read a form of the word mind. And so the goal is that the mind of Christ restores our relationships. The mind of Christ restores our relationships. So we want to start thinking like Jesus thought. And when we start thinking like Jesus thought, then things are going to change around us. It's going to change our lives. It's going to change some relationships here. And it's also going to change relationship up here. That's just the outline for today. God's, the mind of Christ restores our relationships with each other. And the mind of Christ restores our relationship with God. And in between there, I want to give us four choices of how we can practice some of that this week. Are you following me? Here we go. The mind of Christ restores our relationships with each other. I was reading through this letter to Philippians. And I just, can I just encourage you to read through these four chapters sometime this week? It's really good. Or just push play if you like to listen to it. This is a beautiful letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he really likes. In fact, I just kind of wanted to see what kind of relationships are we talking about here because it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what are some of the relationships he's talking about? Well, if you open it up just in the first eight verses, there's lots of of talk about relationships. So could you just follow with me on Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8? The first word out of the gate is a person, Paul, and Timothy. This Paul's the leader. Timothy's his men, is his protege. It's someone that younger that he's brought along to help train and teach. And this is a common way to start the letter. I wish that we wrote letters this way. Would, do you remember writing letters? Do you remember when you used to do that? That might be a good thing to do this week too. But usually the way we have our form, we always sign it at the end, don't we? But in the first century, they would say, this is who's writing this letter. Isn't that helpful? So you don't have to flip it all the way over to the back. So Paul and Timothy, they describe themselves servants of Christ Jesus. There's three people already, and we're not even uh, out of the first sentence, first verse. To all God's holy people, he's describing the church as all of God's holy people. You see some relationships developing already? In Christ Jesus, again, so these God's holy people have a relationship with Jesus. At Philippi, we've got a place. These Bible places, you know, these are real people in real places in real time. Together with the overseers and deacons. We just talked about that, didn't we? Huh, where do we get those overseers, elders and deacons? Well, there's biblical examples here. The overseers is another description of an, of an elder or a shepherd and deacons. And the word deacon just means a servant, a minister. So let's talk about the church and your leaders. Then he greets them, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I've lost track of how many relationships already. We're only in verse 2. 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter to this church, this group of people that he seems to really have an affection for. And so they might be reading this out loud in a group setting, sort of like what this is like. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. If you read Philippians long, you'll find out 16 times the word joy comes up in six verse, in, in these four chapters. 16 times. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, we talked about that last week, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I've got good news for you. God's still working on us. That's kind of good news, bad news, but let's just take it as good news that God's not giving up on us until the day of Christ Jesus. When Jesus comes back, God's still going to be working on us and working in us. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That preacher really loves his church. Since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains, some people believe that Apostle Paul is in prison when he's writing this. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ restores our relationships. This preacher has a good relationship with this church. Would you agree? And this preacher has a good relationship with this church, I hope. Do you agree? I hope so, because I love you guys. I love you guys. And so the mind of Christ, we start thinking like, Jesus, we're going to start kind of having some just deep, I mean, there's some things that are going on here that are deeper than blood. And you're going to find some more things out as you read this beautiful, beautiful letter. You skip down past our core text, down to chapter 2 of Philippians. You just flip over to chapter 2, verse 19. That same Timothy that Paul addresses earlier, Paul and Timothy, he's going to show up again in verse 19. Paul's writing to the church. He says, I hope, to, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Do we need to confess some things here? Verse 21 is pretty convicting. But, verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So he's saying there's a lot of people who just look out for themselves. They look out for number one. They look out for themselves. Not Timothy. This boy loves you. This boy will do what you need. He has your genuine interest at heart. And just like I'm the father and he's my son, we have served alongside. He is in. There's something healthy about that relationship. If you read a little further, there's another guy that shows up that has a big, long name, verse 25, Epaphroditus. We might talk about him next week when we talk about anxiety. But it says Epaphroditus almost died for the cause of Christ to serve this church. And then you go to chapter 4. In chapter 4, there's going to be a couple ladies show up. And I run, again, I want to remember, remind you. So the churches maybe gathered and said, hey, Paul's sent us a letter. 
If I were to have sent you a letter this summer while I was on sabbatical, maybe it would have been like that. Maybe, maybe during a church service, one of the elders said, hey, we got a letter from Warren. Here's what's happening. I, I didn't do that. I probably should have. But that's kind of what's happening. Paul's in prison. He's like, hey, I want, this, I want this church to know some things. And he's talking to him about what's happening. He's talking about this beautiful picture of Jesus that we're going to see later in chapter 2. He's talking about how I forsake all things for the cause of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He talks about how God's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And so the church is hearing all of this. And then you get to chapter 4. And hear the turn. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, again, that sounds nice, doesn't it? You whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And here's number two, verse two. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sentiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Did you hear that? It almost sounds like the Apostle Paul is calling two ladies who might be fussing. He calls them out by name. How would you like to be at church that day? And your name gets called out. Hey, I want them to plead. I plead with them and help them work this out to be of the same mind. And so he's trying to say that the mind of Christ can resolve our differences. The mind of Christ can restore our relationship. So here's, what's this look like? How can we kind of put some hands and, and feet to this? Here's uh, four suggestions, four choices. If you read in our, your Core 52 book this week, you'll find out there's four different choices of ways that you can practice this out in real life this week. And so I want to encourage you, I'm going to give you four choices of ways that you can live more humbly to have this mind of Christ. And I want you to think about what's a 30-minute window where you can put this into practice. First off, first choice is honor the lowly. Honor the lowly. Martin Luther said, Down, down, says Christ. You shall find me in the poor. You are rising too high if you do not look for me there. Don't look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. And the Lord Jesus, he just kind of was pretty comfortable with those who are on the outside of society. The poor, the untouchables, the lepers those who are not going to be first in line to anything. What's that look like for you to spend 30 minutes this week and honor the lowly with dignity? Another way that we could practice this uh, principle of humility is to prioritize children. Some of you are already getting upset with me by saying that. But if you want to love Jesus, then you're going to love his kids. Don't get upset with me. Take that up with Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we have a kid-friendly church. I want this place to be full of kids. And let's be honest, kids are messy, aren't they? And kids are expensive. But they're so worth it. And they're gifts from God. And I just want this church body to love kids. And can I just... 
I'm just going to talk. Can I just, I just, I just need to talk today. Is that okay? Uh, so Wednesday night, uh, we had our God squad. It's so good uh, to get some kids in the building. I'm thankful for Michael and the team doing a great job and all of our Wednesday night crews. Just so thankful. People giving them food and all this stuff. And so uh, we had a couple kids walk into this building for the very first time. Very first time. And so I, we had some junior high kids that we hadn't expected for and planned for. And I said, I'll, I'll take care of it. We'll do it. We'll do something with them. And so I just had all five of them. And we got him a Bible. And I said, I want you just to get your Bible open to the table of contents. And I preached a lesson with them out of the table of contents. Aren't you excited? Uh, but I tried to help them understand what this Bible is all about. And this one kid's like, this is the first time I've done this, man. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. We're glad you're here. But there were just several different ways that we were able to love these kids. Uh, so just please uh, invest in these kids because we need them. One other side note, um, I was reading a book called Gentle and Lowly. It's really good, really good book. And he said that Jonathan Edwards, if you recognize that from the revivalist days, 1740, he preached a sermon one Sunday at church just to the kids. I thought, I wonder what that would look like at Berlin Christian Church. Have a Sunday service where we just have the kids all right here. It's just going to be their day. I'm not a prophet, but I think we might try that. So be ready. Prioritize kids. Here's why. Uh, there were some people that were bringing kids to Jesus, and the disciples were like, hey, no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't have, he didn't have time for these kids. Here's how Jesus responds to him. Mark chapter 10, 14, 15. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Prioritize kids. You got 30 minutes to do that this week. When they ask you Thursday afternoon when you're full of turkey, will you play a game with me? What do we say? Third choice, choose a, choose a humble place. Choose a humble place. Um, I don't know why I'm weepy today. I just am. Doggone it. Um, so uh, choose a humble place. There's a, I just started a book. I, I've read like five pages. Sometimes when I quote all these books, I've not read them all, okay? Just, just, so don't feel like, man, he reads all these books. I don't read them all. I'd love to, but, but I did read the, the introduction and the first four pages of Eater, uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. It looks really good. Michael said, this is a good book. I should have it. So Leaders Eat Last. In the foreword, there's a retired uh, lieutenant general from the United States Marine Corps, Robert Flynn. And he says, anytime the Marines are together, you'll notice that the junior uh, ranking uh, soldiers will eat first and the senior ranking officers will eat last. And I confirmed that with, with another friend of ours who's in the military. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's right. It's in the Army too. And so I think it's probably common with our military. And a lot of times, you know, if it's this week when they have Thanksgiving at the base or wherever, I guarantee you those officers are going to be the ones behind the serving line giving the food to the privates. Leaders eat last. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to model that. I don't know if the military found that out from Jesus, but I sure hope so. Because that's what Jesus said. We, we eat last. Choose a humble 
place. And we heard it read. Thank you, Scott, for sharing it. I want to read it again from Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is talking about when you're eating. He says, when, when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your, host, when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So choose a humble place. And when you're choosing a humble place, you're going to have the mind of Jesus. Fourth choice, invest 30 minutes this week to serve as Christ served. Serve like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. It's been said that if service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. If service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Again, in that book, Simon Sinek, he tells this following story of Captain Mike Drowley. Uh, and he's actually a brigadier general now, but back in 2002, 16th of August. So you think back to 2002, he's flying over Afghanistan. Does that sound, you know, kind of remember what the world was like, 2002, Afghanistan. And he's flying in his A-10 Warthog, and he and his wingman, are, are, their mission is to provide air support for our soldiers. And so... Nobody dies in this story, so it's spoiler alert. Okay, it's okay. Um, so there's 22 soldiers. They've captured a highly valuable target, 2002, and they're in this valley, and there's mountains on both sides, and the clouds are low. It's about 1,000 feet below, above you know, ground that they can actually get underneath the clouds. And uh, the, the, the call comes out, troops in contact. If you're in the military, you hear those three words, you know what's happening, troops in contact. We are under, we're entering enemy fire. We, all hands on deck, we're in trouble. We need everyone at their post ready. And so the call comes out, troops in contact. Mike Drowley, also known as Johnny Bravo, is trying to navigate coming out of the clouds, but he knows that there's mountains on both sides. And in 2002, GPS isn't that great. And they've got 20 or 30-year-old maps of Afghanistan written in Russia, Russian. So he's trying to navigate all of this, and he comes down enough to find out where he is between the mountains. Troops are in trouble. What am I going to do? And so he is able to, to communicate and find out where the fire is coming from. He is able to, to do some maneuvering and provides the support needed. Makes several passes coming in and out and, and careful enough to pull up at just the right time so as not to crash into the mountains. And then he runs out of ammunition. There's still trouble down there. Flies back up into the soup, and he says to his wingman, hey, here's the plan. I need you to follow me. Follow my lead. Do exactly what I do. Takes him down, and they make a few more maneuvers, and all 22 of those soldiers went home safe that day because of some pretty risky maneuvering. I think if you'd asked Captain Mike Drowley at the time, what, you know, like, what, what happened? He said, I'm just doing my duty. Just doing what I was trained to do. And then they kind of process a little more. What was kind of, what, what helps you do things like that? And, and he said, it really wasn't my training, although we had good training. It wasn't my aircraft, although it's okay. And it's not the technology. We had old maps in Russian. He said, really what the difference was for me that day was empathy. Was Empathy. I was feeling for those guys down there. I knew that if the roles were reversed, they would have done the same thing for me. Serve like Jesus. I wonder what it would look like if we actually thought about Jesus when we're serving. 
You ever thought about this gospel story from the perspective of Jesus? So much of it we, we preach, and like, Jesus did this for us. Jesus did this for us. It's for us, for us, for us. And yes, that's true. But do you ever kind of flip the script? What was it like for you, Jesus? You ever thought about having some empathy toward the King of Kings? I think that's what Paul is trying to accomplish in these last few verses in Philippians 2, where we're going to turn the corner here and, and just look at Jesus as we, as we bring this uh, message home. The last few verses from 5 through 11 in Philippians chapter 2 might be some of the most beautiful words in all Scripture. And I know I say that a lot, but I really mean it this time. But I'm serious. These are some good ones, folks. And it'd be worthwhile committing them to memory, putting them somewhere where you will see them. And so we had this command stuff, you know, do this, have this mind of Christ, consider others better than yourselves, do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. Why? Why? Here's the answer. The mind of Christ restores our relationship with God. Here's what it is, verse 5 through 11, Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the mindset of Christ. You want to have this same mindset, it might get you killed. It did for Jesus. But we also see that big word there in verse 9, therefore. It's only three letters in the original language. Therefore, the story doesn't end with Jesus hanging on the cross. Did you ever think about what it was like for Jesus? It was pretty good for him in heaven, I'm pretty sure. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, throne of God, angels, cherubim, worship. And then he said, okay, I'll lay it aside. They lay aside these privileges. I still think he was fully God. Fully God, fully man. But he laid down the privilege, the the rights. And he came into a young woman's womb through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Christmas. Do you see Christmas here? And he was born and made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. And he walked this earth, never sinned. I wonder if they called him names on the playground. Do you ever think about what it was like for Jesus to come here? It says he humbled himself, verse 8, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's the creator of the world laying out and the creation, those whom he made in his own image are putting nails into his flesh. That's the mind of Christ. 
So if you want to have the mind of Christ, you better know what you're getting into. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, hanging there possibly naked for all the world to see. And some of the words that he said while he was on that cross, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you want the mind of Christ, it's going to change some things for you. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. Even death on a cross, they take him down, they put him in a tomb. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Now do we have Christmas? Not only is there Good Friday here, but there's Easter Sunday morning here. What some of the old preachers say, the great getting up day. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Not only did he just rise from the dead, he ascended into heaven as king, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And that name is tattooed on his thigh in Revelation 19. King of kings and Lord of lords. And so there's going to be a day where those knees will bow. And for those who embrace the mind of Christ today, we can bow our knees now. And we can say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. He is my King. So what are we going to do with this message? The mind of Christ restores our relationship with each other, and with God. And what are the one of those four activities that we're going to choose this week to live that out? Let's pray. King Jesus, you're our Lord and our Savior. Savior, I thank you for this beautiful picture of the good news. I pray as followers of Jesus, we would embrace your mindset. Lord, give us opportunities even now to see you in your humility, but also as our King. And Lord, I know that there's a lot of different uh, dynamics at play in our world right now, and I pray as followers of Jesus, we would show the world a better way. So we ask for the mind of Christ to guide and direct us. Help us, we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us. I'm going to be out in the lobby uh, for prayer. Uh, if God's got something special on your heart for prayer, I'd be happy to visit with you out in the lobby. Also, if you need some prayer requests, you can always submit those uh, online through the check-in. So we want to be praying for you. So let's stand as we sing.